Welcome to the 2016 Main Board Big Footy Podcast. And in lieu of Mr. Wookie being off tonight due to personal reasons or work reasons, as you might say, I'm hosting it, and that's Mike tonight. And uh, on the other side of the fence there is Messenger. Welcome to the show, Messenger. It's not a very big fence, but it's a fence nonetheless. And I think we just wish Wookie the best of luck. Um, fortunately, gonorrhea is a treatable disease these days. <laughs> Hang on, is this a G-rated show? Yeah, G well, for gonorrhea. <laughs> well, I'll give you that one. So, um, all right. What have you been up to over the Christmas period, or uh, or the last few weeks, so to speak? There hasn't been much on the way of um, podcasts going on. There's been a little bit of NAB Cup, um, but you know, leading on to the NAB Cup, have you had any particular highlights of the NAB Cup? Is there anything in the NAB Cup that sort of caught your eye, or something that you're not happy with? Well, look, the first the first week of the NAB Cup was horrendous football, and and we all watched it and were hoping it would be good, and it was terrible. But look, the last two weeks there was a couple of really good games. The Geelong Collingwood game was was a really good quality football match. Um, the form of Melbourne, I think, has been really pleasing under under Simon Goodwin, and. Uh, there's uh, unfortunately, as as happens every year, a spate of injuries that uh, that um, that sully the start of round one, and and I guess this just illustrates how much of a, a marathon a football season is. That you know, it does matter how you finish, but you, you do want to start in the best form you can. Yeah, and um, controversially, there's been some claims and um, dissatisfaction among the ranks there of the AFL coaching staff and uh, support staff around, you know, just how much of the NAB Cup is a Mickey Mouse competition and players, you know, the opinion is is that players are being a risk for a competition that really doesn't benefit anything, which could be sort of um, managed easier just by intra-club uh, practice matches or games. And there doesn't really seem to be any driving factor for holding the NAB Cup and it's just a glorified practice match. I think it is. We, if we look at, um, you know, how Richmond, uh, I think Richmond has probably arguably come off the worst team out of the NAB Cup, um, you know, experiment there. How many injuries have, are, are they suffering now? I think they've got seven or eight key injuries, haven't they? Somewhere yeah, there. it's something like that. But but I think, you know, you've got to say, well, you know, what do you want to start the season with? And when they had a competition, the feeling was that it was too competitive. And then they had a and that was a round-robin competition. Then they had a knockout competition, and then the complaint was that they got shafted on, onto country grounds that weren't very good if they got knocked out early and they wanted to be able to play at you know, Football Park and Etihad and all that. So you never seem to be able to please the coaches. I mean, I, for one, I'd be quite happy for them to have an intra-club and a couple of practice match knockouts in the country, and it would, it would suit exactly the same purpose. I mean, it's nice to be able to watch the practice matches in HD, but... You know, you can't. You, if you want some preparation, then this is a good vessel for preparation. But if it's too competitive, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it's either too competitive, it's not competitive enough, or doesn't get them ready, and yeah, maybe they just should all stick and have three intra club games. I don't know. Well, it comes back to the argument, Messenger, that um, you know there is a calling for an extension of the season, more rounds and less sort of pre-season uh, competition. But I think you've got to find the balance and, and find something which you know the, the game is getting more intensive in terms of fitness levels, um, and we're seeing 
you know, in some of the younger clubs or, or younger balanced teams where they're running out of puff, you know, um, sort of towards the uh, latter half of the season. And oh, look, that just comes, that's just part and parcel with developing a tank. But do we want to force players to play more games or is it a matter of just tweaking the pre-season to something more manageable, something that gives the players a chance to get on and, and have a kick uh, but without being too serious to a point of risking injury. Well, again, you've got to say, well, what are you trying to get out of it? Mm. If it's about improving your fitness base, then then you know you can do that in any number of ways. But ultimately, you know, there'll be teams that will be just trying to get things started and may have come off a shorter pre-season like some of the finalists. You'll have Carlton who'll be trying to teach their players how they want to play the game. Uh, and so you've got... And there's a whole spectrum of what people want in between. But if, you know, the clubs have it very much within their control to control the workload of their players. Most clubs didn't field anything close to a full side in the first two weeks of the NAG Cup. Mm-hmm. And and really, if that's what you want to do in the third week, then, you know, but God be with you. But I, um, you know, I think they're complaining about something that's pretty much in their control. If I tend, they want to put all their stars on ice, put them on ice. Yeah, I think it, I tend to agree. I mean, look, I watching the, the first two rounds or the, or the Dogs games um, against uh, GWS Melbourne and uh, Collingwood, we, we um, had 17 changes between the game of GWS and Melbourne. So, and, and again, a half a dozen or a dozen changes of Collingwood. So I think it's just a matter of rotating your team around and, you know, trying to get them some... Uh, a little bit of match fitness, and I think, you know, look, I don't see any purpose in really changing it or changing the format, you know. I mean, if they want to drop another trophy out of it, so be it. But I think the moment we start playing on it, we sort of really got to question the value of having any pre-season competition period. Um, and then I don't think we want to go to a point where we start extending the season out and having players play longer seasons um, based on the game. I think physically it's going to be, it, it would be too taxing on the players expecting to go another month or two. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Um, any final yeah, thoughts no, on I that? Agree. And I, no, I agree. I think it's within the club's control as to how they handle it. Uh, I think these players are pretty well managed already. I don't think we're going to get a, a season longer than we've already got. Um, yeah, I tend to agree. Alrighty, moving off the NAB Cup, it's another topic, controversial topic, that comes up every year, without a doubt, coming up to Easter, and again, it's read its head, Good Friday, and who should we see on TV tonight barking about Good Friday? Our good old friend, Mrs. Scott, down at North Melbourne. I think it's the same old the mm. same old argument we're seeing every year, you know, year on year out. Do you think the AFL is ever going to implement a Good Friday match, or is it something that it's going to be sort of, you know, wishful thinking? Oh, it's absolutely going to happen. It's, it is it is a moral certainty. There isn't nearly the opposition that there used to be for it. We are a holy, almost wholly secular society now. And frankly, when all the competing codes are playing, if not one, but two games on Good Friday, we it's, uh, uh, the AFL's holdout seems to be quite anachronistic and... As to who plays, well, certainly North Melbourne have been keen and James Brochel was on the radio saying it would be North Melbourne and Carlton. I think the Bulldogs have a good case to put their hand up and have a marquee match each season. Um, you know, as long as we don't 
uh, lumber ourselves with yet another bloody Collingwood game or an Essendon game, I think we'll be quite happy. And, and why couldn't this game be played interstate? Why couldn't this be one of the derby games or why couldn't it be one of the showdown fixtures or, or what have you? Yeah, look, exactly good point. I'd be really against giving a Friday night fixture or a good night a good Friday fixture to Collingwood Essendon on the back on the back that they have monopolised the Anzac Day match, so they've really got that um, in their favour. And um, you know, I think probably for other teams, it could be something which could be reviewed on a on a yearly basis or every bi yearly, depending on the progress of the teams. You want to mix it around and have those sort of middle of the table teams who are sort of on the improve or as you suggested you know an interstate derby match which I think will be good as well I think I don't know what the reasoning is behind the AFL but I think I'm not sure if it's aligned with the fact that you know Good Friday is a non-trading day for business so it might be an old holistic approach of looking at not running a business on a Friday but you know then again I don't think the AFL's really been ever too concerned about that having games on Easter Sunday and so forth and probably if they could have a game on Christmas Day, they probably would. So I don't personally have any problems with it. And I think it's something probably that's that's due now, given you know how long the game's been around and how many years and decades we've been talking about you know footy on a, on a Good Friday. I think bring it on. And, and let's be honest, there's nothing else to bloody do on Good Friday. <laughs> well, exactly. Unless you go to church. The cricket season's well and over, well and over, and I think we're on the tail end. Or no, actually, there's still a bit of the EPL going on, but you won't see any games on a Friday night in Melbourne or, or Australia for the EPL. That tends to be on a Saturday night and Sunday night. So, yeah, yeah. unless you like the uh, rugby league, that is about it. Yes. Alrighty then. Well, I think that one's dust, done and dusted. I can't see any other reason or argument for not playing a Friday night. But um, we are we have prefer, we have fulfilled our uh, annual obligation to talk about Good Friday. <laughs> That's right. You can bet it every year on the Big Footy podcast that we'll be talking about Good Friday footy. All right. Um, next topic of discussion. I think we're looking at the uh, topic again of you know who wants to build a new stadium. I think with, um, you know, the reasoning and conjecture of building another stadium, do we need another stadium? Does the AFL have the money to sink into another stadium? And, and what's the long-term plans? I, I think, look, one of the things um, I think they look at is they, they look down um, Olympic Boulevard, I think it's called, now it used to be called Swan Street, at Amy Park. And Amy Park is a... Really, really well done niche sports stadium. It it's just right for soccer. It's just right for rugby league. It's just right for rugby union, and it's and its size makes it a really good place to view sport. Have you been to Amy Park, Mike? I certainly have. It's a really nice. I've seen the Rebels play there. I've seen the Victory play there. Melbourne City. I haven't been to an NRL game, but it's it's just right. It's just the right size. And I guess the question is, if you ne- thought you needed a third stadium in Melbourne or whether you thought you needed a stadium that would replace Etihad, do, does, would the stadium manufacturer or the stadium constructor look at something that is slightly smaller than Etihad so that they could host, you know, your... Games where you have Fremantle visit or the Swans visit, and and you're not going to get a decent crowd. I mean, Hawthorne and the Swans probably pull about fifty thousand 
per annum, but if you're Melbourne and you get sent to Etihad to host, I don't know, Gold Coast, mm. well, wouldn't you much rather do it at a stadium that's going to be cheaper to run? Well, you know, even Fremantle, even Fremantle visit Melbourne, traditionally the, the, uh, the crowd is low um, considering. So I think uh, last year the Docks Frio game only pulled about 15,000 or something like that. But anyway, oh, look, I think you're right. I think it just, it's got to come down to, though, the facilities of the game and whether or not the game dimensionally is big or the, the, the stadium is big enough to hold a full-size AFL field. And I couldn't tell you, um, off the cusp, unfortunately, if it is or not. I think the last time I went to Amy Stadium was actually, um, it wasn't even for a sporting event, it was for a Foo Fighters concert a couple of years back. But um, yeah, it was a pretty impressive stadium. I, I, for, the, for, for, for the for the venues they're proposing, they're talking about, Richmond are talking about a venue punt road. I mean, I, I have trouble visualising, say, for the, for the an example, 40,000 seats around the oval that they have at punt road because it's on a fairly small postage stamp of land. It's buttressed by main roads on two sides, and it has, unless they're considering pushing out into Yarra Park. So uh, it, it seems to me that that would be a fairly substantial development at Richmond. Um, and, and ironically, these are stadiums that the clubs that are talking about building them would, would, have, would struggle to use themselves. Mm purely for the size of their membership base. I mean, Collingwood wouldn't ever really have need for a stadium of, of, of sort of even anything under 40,000, most likely. So, but, but the one that I like is Prince's Park. Because I, I, did, I don't know, if did you watch the Essendon-Carlton game at Prince's Park? No, but I've been to I've been to Princess Park so many times over the life, and even in the late nineties when the Bulldogs had their um, home ground at Princess Park, I remember you know the layouts. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a good sized stadium. It's renovated. It, uh, you know, I'll confess I haven't been there lately, but from what I saw of it, it has the facilities. Um, the only thing going against it was accessibility was a little bit limited either by tram or um, or parking. So that was the only thing going against it that I can see. But apart from that, uh, functionality-wise, it ticks all the boxes as far as I'm aware. Absolutely. I think it's... I, I always enjoyed watching football at Princes Park and and uh, I'm not really all that familiar with, with Eddie's, uh, Eddie's idea, but... Um, oh, I don't know. Would you knock down Eddie had to do something like this, or would you have it as a third stadium? I think mean, I think that's a fairly fundamental question. I think you'd need it as a third stadium. I, I don't think we could get away ditching Eddie Head. Um, you know, I think the AFL will look at buying back. Um, but you know, you're right. They they do need more stadiums, more quality stadiums, and they'll. Yeah. Have, but I think they'll have to go into looking at some existing stadium agreement, and that might be either going into Amy Park or into Princess Park. You know, I don't see anything wrong with Princess Park. But um, I don't see the value in the AFL uh, going into a contract to have another purpose-built stadium when there is certainly enough facilities already in existence that the AFL can go into contract with for the smaller games that hold a lot of crowds for the interstate team. So, you know, GWSs, your Gold Coast. Even your Port Adelaide, um, you know, the games here against Port Adelaide, um, Frio and West Coast, they, they don't draw high crowds. They really don't. No. They could redevelop Skinner Reserve in Sunshine. 
<laughs> well, I'm probably sure they could, you know, or even for that fact, uh, Glenn Ferry Oval. But, you know, I think being realistic about the situation, I really think that they could probably do better in, you know, looking at you know, an existing venue rather than going into a contract to spend more money. Um, and obviously it will allow more money for, you know, other areas of development of the game. I tell you, if you, if you used Glen Ferry the, these days, I think with the, the way these guys kick, you'd be your kick outs after a point and end up on the half forward flank. <laughs> I think Glen Ferry's a little bit diminutive these days for that sort of thing. Well, if you take one step back, if you're looking at Arden Street, you'd be playing kick to kick at the goalposts on either end, wouldn't you? Yeah, just about. Yeah, <laughs> just about. Yeah, that was a. I, I do remember. Arden Street vividly and seeing people scaled up the walls there watching the game, hanging off from wherever they could find a, a perch on the fence. But um, any other final comments on, you know, to build or not to build? No, but somebody, there's a question to always be who's going to pay for it. Exactly. And uh, I don't see any government sticking their hands in, in their pockets at this point. And, um, and uh, yeah, there isn't, even Collingwood, I don't think, could afford to build this on their own. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think the government's got far too many more important things like uh, chopper rise to Geelong and, uh, you know. And um, pay, paying, a million, paying a billion dollars not to build a, build a uh, tunnel. Oh, yeah, and paying about $1.2 billion for a ticketing system that they could have got away with implementing for about a quarter of the price. But I think, anyway, I think, I think we get the gist of it. So that is a big fat no to a new stadium. All right, so we're, I think we're screaming through the uh, agenda here tonight, but I think leading on to the next discussion point was changes to the free agency messenger. Now, this is certainly going to raise a few eyebrows, and we're looking at the rumour that players want to take to the AFL Players Association of dropping back from eight years uh, of service to six years of service with a this few is... different changes. Well... I think free agents. Look, I'm an advocate for free agency. I, you know, freely admit that. Um, they so in reducing it from eight years to six years. I think this is obviously with an eye to the enterprise bargain, the collective bargaining agreement negotiations, which would be, I would imagine, starting sometime this year or next. And this is a fascinating move, and it really changes the dynamic of how clubs contract players when players start to agitate for a move. I mean, you're talking about now potentially having players enter restricted free agency at 24, which is right at the start of that peak period of their career. So this is obviously an opportunity for players to absolutely maximise their their um, rev- income. Uh, and it would send a shudder, I imagine, through some clubs and... And uh, and the question would be, you know, six years enough return on a draft pick? If we look at other leagues with similar sort of uh, guaranteed money salaries and uh, guaranteed salary structures and uh, and drafted players and, and restricted free agency in the NBA, you only get four years uh, at a player before you have to uh, pay up or shut up. But they have some advantages built into their system in terms of... Uh, uh, a soft salary cap, um, at being able to offer additional years if you hold the rights to the player and being able to offer bigger rises between years. And, and AFL clubs at this stage are, are not afforded any of that. No, and I think there's also um, a little bit more so, stringent uh, you know, rules. We, 
sorry, I think there's also a little bit more stringent rules into the way players can be traded. But I think it's either the NBA or the NFL, isn't it, the case? Well, I think the thing about the NFL that they, the AFL Players Association would um, resist is that it's a non-guaranteed money situation. So, you know, you'll see the headlines where a player might be, you know, signed for for forty million dollars over four years, but in reality, in any given year, if they can be cut and and almost none of that money can be guaranteed. So, the fight with NFL players is always how much money you can get guaranteed. Now that isn't a, a discussion that is ever concerned anybody in the AFL because all money that's contracted is guaranteed and and, and I don't see any great reason to to um, change that. But if you're an AFL club and you're signing players for big deals and, you know, so Tom Boyd sized deals, would you want would your pushback be to say, listen, if uh, you don't cut it, we're gonna we're gonna trade you? And you're not going to have any say in it. Or, so, uh, or your uh, Buddy Franklin deals, you know, what is it, 11 million over 10 years or so, whatever the case. I think the issue is now that, you know, with the, with the changes or proposed changes going ahead of reducing the uh, free agency um, requirements to six years, it's going to put a lot more emphasis in, and uh, strain on some of the... Um, you know, on some of the underperforming clubs and clubs that have not had such uh, a strong um, history in terms of, you know, performance and victories in the AFL. So it's going to make it hard for those clubs where we, you know, and I'll use it, look, I'll use the Western Bulldogs, for example, where we've got a cream of players, um, a lot of players coming into that core group now with the, the early 20s where they're developing together as that group. And then they hit their straps when they're at 24, 25. And then bang, all of a sudden they're free agents. And you've got this other club that comes along and says, hey, guys, we'll give you this money and you come and play for us. And then all of a sudden you're destabilising that other club, potentially, to make another club, richer club, stronger at the benefit or at the detriment, rather, of the uh, of the not-so-financially uh, uh, better-off uh, lesser club. Oh, I guess, there'd be, I, I guess there'd be a couple of things to say. First of all, what we know about player behaviour is that players will take a discount to stay in a good situation and, and and you look at that that period at Geelong where you could have argued that any number of those players within those premiership teams could have left for, for more for more money but made a decision that the culture was important. And that helps teams who can develop something good together and, and the Bulldogs might be that, that next team to come through. The other thing we can say for teams that are worried about whether they can recruit somebody is we also know that there are a group of players who, who like money. And, mm. and you know, Jake Carlisle, uh, I, I posted this on the board during the week, Jake Carlisle was presented with the option of coming to Hawthorne or taking $750,000 from St Kilda, and he chose the money. Mm. And, you know, Mitch Clark wanted to go home to Fremantle from Brisbane, but... Melbourne jumped in with eight hundred thousand dollars, and and money talks. Mm. So I I wouldn't. I think if any team that comes through and has cap space is always going to find somebody worthwhile to spend it on. And I don't think. I mean, my my view is that people make free agency out to be some sort of boogeyman that it just isn't. And you know, of the of the fifty one free agency transactions that have occurred. Since we began, nearly half of those are delisted free agents. 
the people who would otherwise have gone to the pre-season draft or the some other ridiculous way of, of distributing talent. And for the most part, most of those transactions are really quite run-of-the-mill and they're really about teams, players moving sideways between teams of equal stature or, or moving down. And there are very few, oh my God, destroy the fabric of the, of the uh, league type transactions in that list. And for, for every James Frawley leaving Melbourne to go Hawthorne, um, there's a Brent Maloney going from Melbourne to Brisbane and a, and a Hamish McIntosh uh, moving and uh, Matthew Suckling going to the Western Bulldogs. These things happen, and I just don't think it's been the the fabric-destroying system that people want, might want it to be. I'll ask this question. Rather than the actual um, concept of free trades as, as, as the mechanism for players being able to leave, I think people have a problem with the imbalance in compensation. I think this is the crux of the issue, is the... the the, uh, the compensation is imbalanced and, and there's no set, there doesn't appear to be any standard set formula for players or clubs being compensated for players that leave in the free agency. I, I would have a, I have a very simple solution for that. Don't compensate clubs for losing free agents. Those, these people have been on your list for eight years. Why do you need another draft pick for somebody that you couldn't make a, proposi- a value proposition to to stay? There's no, if you, I mean, you know, Lance Franklin was a case in point. We got pick 19 for him. Okay, we traded that on. I can't, I think we traded I can't remember quite remember what we did for it. But surely there's an argument to say, well, you know what? You had eight years and they gave you their service and you paid them money and it was a, the transact, and now the transaction's over. Why do you need to be compensated for it? And there's no, really good reason under, other than to sell the clubs who have to get something from everything. I mean, we still have the anachronistic proposition where we trade players within days of their contract expiring. It shouldn't be permitted. Mm. If you get to the end of your... You should just simply be able to say, listen, I'm going. See you later. Thanks for the memories. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, that would be my solution. Just don't compensate. I mean, it distorts the draft. Um, you can never recompense somebody fully for it, no matter what formula, right? It always somebody's always going to be unhappy. And frankly, if you make it too generous, you pump, you you punish the teams below them who have their their picks diluted by it. Mm, exactly. This is the this is the biggest issue I think a lot of had, especially with the imbalance of some of the compensation fixed for picks for players who, quite frankly, you didn't deserve it. But anyway, I mean, look, at the end of the day, something's got to be done to, to, to balance it out. And if that's a system where there's no compensation, then every club is treated the same way, then, you know, I think that's fair. As long as, it, as, long as it's fairly weighted and the compensation level is the same, whether it being a particular pick or no picks, you know, I just think they have to fix this because it, I don't think it can keep going as it is. Well, I don't, just... I, I'm, I'm just not sure I see what the problem is, though. Mm. I mean, and look, and I can say, you know, Hawthorne's been as screwed as badly by this in, in theory as anyone. I mean, we, we lost one of the best half-dozen players in the league and we got a pick 19 for them. Well, 
Well, I think Mel- you go back to you go back to looking at Scully and Melbourne, and and Melbourne got two priority picks for him. That's or right. Two first round picks. It was not worth two round picks. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think you know, yeah, it's it's. I, I well, well, I can agree with the free trade or the you know the the, uh, the unrestricted free agency sort of stuff. I don't think I don't believe or I don't um, think that the comp- this whole compensation scheme. Um, is balanced and fair. I think they either do away with it or come up with another mechani- mechanism of compensation. I, I just, I, I would just, it's just easier not to do it. Probably. It's just easier not to do it. And, and look, really, in the big scheme of things, free agency is good for the players. It's probably good for the clubs too. Um, you know, you, you, sh- you shuffle the talent much more, much more evenly, I think, over time. Most of these players, I mean, if you go through the list, it's on Wikipedia, it's all there. You go through it and you look at the names and you think, my God, is this what we're worried about? Mm. You know, really, it's, you know, whether Jared Rivers goes to Geelong or whether, um, uh, you know, it was a Brent Maloney was one with them. You know, Shannon Byrne went from Geelong to Melbourne. At Geelong was at their, Melbourne was at their absolute nader. And Shannon Byrne, who has, I think, two premiership medallions from memory, mm. signed with Melbourne. I mean mm-hmm. that that's not meant to happen, and according you know, and but but it did. Now he wasn't much good for them, but it will happen because you know footballers like money. So yeah. Well, exactly. Actually, if you look at the list, I think the only team with any real uh, concern there is um, Collingwood this year with with uh, Penelbury's side bottoms one and two of the, uh, and Nathan Brown will up as free agents. But uh, well, side bottom side already signed. Mm. Um, Pendlebury will get a deal that would frankly make um, George Soros blush. And and they'll most of these guys stay. Most of these yeah. guys stay. So I think that comes back to a different discussion altogether on plays, but breaking contracts to go to other clubs. But I think that's another another whole discussion point itself, well, I, which I, I know there's 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 obviously issues there and, and contentions with players being able to, to break contracts to go to other clubs because I know certainly in the past you look back to um, back in our you know back in our versus the Hawthorne Football Club for example and uh, the VFL administration said at that point in time well the court said no you can't play uh, for any competing club in the VFL competition, so he had to go back to uh, play in the waffle to earn a living. Well, I, I, I would the, the point I would make about the current situation with players being allowed to break contracts is there are two parties to a contract, and ultimately both of them are agreeing that the player can break it. So if the clubs actually grew some balls and said, no, you're not going, or no, you can't do this, or no, we will not trade you, then guess what? That problem goes away. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think whatever you think about the Cam McCarthy situation, I think the Giants got to the point where they said, no, no more. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, they rolled over for Tom Boyd. They've rolled over, you know, they've, they've, they've facilitated trades for guys like Don Tyson and Trelaw and, 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 and these sort of players. And Cam McCarthy signed a, uh, signed a um, extension and then within months wanted to go home. Mm. And I said, well, no, what part of contract don't you grasp? I, I don't think that's unreasonable. So clubs clubs have some, have some influence in this, and if they continually just say, you know, tickle my tummy on the way out the door, well, then they, these players are going to be allowed to continue to break contracts. 
Absolutely, absolutely. But um, I think we'll just have to see how things go out and hopefully things will settle down before we see any major uh, deal breakers like that happen again. Yeah. All right, moving on. No more substitute rule, four-man interchange. How do you think that's going to impact the season? Well, I think one of the things we've seen is that players are getting a lot leaner, so we're we're really entering the, the point where the, the endurance athlete is uh, is all important. And, and I guess... You know, you look at, for the big men, you look at someone like Mark Blitzarves at Geelong, who's going to be the 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 example of, of what you want, somebody with uh, enormous endurance and, um, and, uh, and the ability to stay on the ground. And I guess from, uh, to use a Hawthorne example, Hawthorne have been uh, recruiting players at the top of the beep test lists for a couple of years now, guys like Hartung and Hill and, and Isaac Smith. Um, so as well as the foot skills, it's going to be, uh, elite endurance running is going to be a very important skill, but, um, I reckon you might see in the early stages, a few teams, uh, run out of puff or, or, or run out of, um, run out of interchanges even. Um, but, uh, they, they'll adapt. They always do. Well, well I, I thought... I guess so because I mean even though last year it was it was one interchange or one substitute and, and, and teams that still ran out of puff still had to deal with the situation. I think that the, the challenge is now going to be a four man interchange with is there a reduction on the cap now again? Have they are they further reducing the interchange cap? Well, it's ninety for this year. I don't know if they'll reduce it again, but whether that would go down to eighty or, or, or something of the into the future, but um, it, I thought it was interesting that some of the clubs didn't practice the 90-inch change over the NAB Cup, and I believe Port Adelaide was one of those where they ran their interchanges all the way through the NAB Cup, or most of the way through the NAB Cup, at, at the old rate, which is uh, more of a, a, I guess, a, a player management situation. But, I mean, you might just find that players come onto the bench and stay on for longer. So instead of being off for 90 seconds or two minutes, maybe they're off for three minutes or three and a half minutes or or something like that. Look, I think in fairness to the NAP Cup, though, you've got to look at the conditions of weather and, and being a lot warmer. You, you've got to look at player welfare and not have them spending too much time running in the heat. So, you know, maybe that could know, be, that's could be true. a contributing factor. Um, yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting, though, in terms of team management and injury management this year to see how it goes, um, you know, especially with the reduced cap. It'll be interesting to see now how or what impact and effect that has on the game day tactics of the uh, of the coach and the team panel to see how their reactor changes in, obviously, player fatigue um, with having four men, but more importantly, how that impacts the structure of the interchange bench and what sort of formations we started to see with the four-man interchange. I think you might see, I think you'll, you'll probably see is um, the big men stay on the ground for a lot longer, mm. and you'll see perhaps people, more people resting forward instead of running off. Mm. Um, and, and it might go back to, you might see, it might feel a little bit like a flashback where you have your, your resting Ruckman and, or your resting Rover or, or, or the like. Um, but I think in time it probably won't feel as be as jarring as we think it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I guess time will tell, and hopefully football's back on tomorrow night, so we'll get a bit of a taste for it with Richmond and Carlton. 
God, that's a seamless segue, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's a traditional uh, round one derailing for someone's season, which I guess segues into the next uh, conversation of the round one previews. But um, looking at the form of both teams, you know, I, I think Richmond are in trouble here. Uh, I, I don't like the look at their list with their injury concerns. And I think uh, if, if a team's right for an upset, uh, I think it's Richmond. Um have you watched Carlton recently? Yeah, but you know, anything's possible, unfortunately. Anything is possible. Well, I could grow a third testicle tonight, I guess. <laughs> it's probably about that possible. Look, Richmond are going to be, have a very interesting year. Carlton really are not very good at all. And they really, and they'll look, they'll win a handful this year. Uh, and um, But uh, Richmond have any, any, any any sort of uh, ideas about their season, this is one that they should just bag straight away. And I, I still think Richmond will win. Well, personally, I think I've, personally I've got Carlton and Essendon fighting it off for the spoon this year. So um, I'll be impressed uh, to see Carlton rise anywhere above um, 18 or 17th. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put a, the occasional upset past them. I and mean, I think maybe, you know, for some, for some strange reason, maybe they can uh, cause an upset against Richmond tomorrow night. You know, look, stranger things have happened. Um, but, you know, probably reality will say that Richmond will, will win comfortably. Yes. All right, moving on to Melbourne and GWS at the MCG on Saturday, March 26th. What's your thoughts? Well, a lot of people, and I've just watched David King on Fox, on 360 suggests that GWS are one of the five teams that could win the flag this year, which makes me think that David King's probably running a very high temperature. But um, Melbourne have been very good in the in the NAB Challenge practice matches. Uh, they've uh, scored more freely. They've uh, looked a much different team. Um, but this would be, you would think if the Giants think that they can make the finals, this is a game that they should win and... I think the Giants will sneak past. I, I, have, I tend to agree. But if you're talking about David King, I think David King also mentioned that uh, Polly was favourite for the Brownlow. So, yeah, I think probably David's running a bit of a temperature at the moment. But, um, look, GWS, I see them as a finals contender this year. I see them edging into a, a seventh or eighth position. Are they a team that's going to be competitive for the flag? Um I don't think so. No. I don't think they have that calibre um, of a makeup of their, 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 their unit yet, but they will certainly test a, a number of teams. But, yeah. Look, I think they'll, I think a good year for GWS will be finishing in the bottom of the eight somewhere around there and sneaking in for a, a first-week final. Oh, oh, look, I think they could, they could, they could certainly play a final mm. um, if things go their way, but they could just as easily finish 11th as well. I mean, mm. it's going to be pretty tight in the middle of the pack. Um, so for this one, I think I'm actually tipping uh, GWS. Yes, I have GWS. All right, Saturday afternoon, Gold Coast versus Essendon at Metricon Stadium, and uh, the one is uh, is back playing for this uh, first game of footy. I think since round something or what's it, fifteen last year or fourteen. So what do we what do we predict his possession count to be? I, I've got roughly seven hundred possessions for Gary Ablett. <laughs> Considering it's against Essendon, it could be an all, ch- all 
all stopping 1,000. I don't know, but look, he'll probably rack up 50 or 60 possessions and it will be the greatest game ever played. And, you know, he'll have 45 handballs across the halfback flank. Yeah. Well, that's right. So, um, Essendon dropped away alarmingly in a couple of their NAB challenge games. It was almost sort of a car accident football. I'm repulsed, yet I cannot look away. And um, I don't think Gold Coast will really take the long handle to them. But, um, yeah, you just just struggle to see them winning on the road at the moment. So... Yes, Gold Coast. Look, to be honest with you, I'd be impressed if Essendon won more than three games this whole year. Oh, I, I would. I think they'll win one or two, but that—that's really it. They're doing the best they can, but you know they've got no composition in their team. It's a—it's a motley crew of uh, anyone really that they could get, and uh, you know, look, I guess it gives throws a lifeline to guys like Crowley to get another another year out of footy, and and, and good luck to him. I hope he uh, does as well as he can, but I think realistically we all know that Essendon is going to struggle this year, and um, and well, uh, that'll be it. There's there's two former Hawks in that, and one of them is uh, Sam Grimley, who only played three games for Hawthorne, and and probably this is a level slightly above his capabilities. But Jonathan Simpkin was a really good signing by Essendon. I think the world of him as a footballer. I would frankly like him in the team this weekend, given our injuries. But um, he was a 2013 Premiership player, and uh, I actually think he might be able to stick with them after after this season. He might be someone they can hang on to and, and sign to a, a contract again in 2017. Well, I hope, it is. I hope he has a decent year, and that works out for him. Um, I think... You know, Gold Coast will win comfortably. It won't yeah. be a shellacking 200-point game, but I think it'll be somewhere between 10 to 12 goals. Yeah. I'm not sure that I could actually watch it, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> okay, moving on to North Melbourne versus Adelaide at Head Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Uh, actually, Saturday evening, sorry, 17 or uh, 19.25, so 7.30 p.m. North Melbourne could be... I mean, we keep forgetting North Melbourne have made a top four team for the last two years, and it doesn't really feel like they are. But um, I, I think they'll win well. I think they'll win well. I'm not sure Adelaide, Adelaide post Dangerfield have uh, got a bit of um, rebuilding to do, and uh, I think uh, North Melbourne will have them this this, this week. There's there's some some uh, belief around the traps and that's a community of the AFL that's a media personality that think actually North Melbourne was sly this year and could actually even find themselves out of the eight. No. I'm not sure that they'll finish top four this year, but I think they'll finish um, in the lower half of the eight, mm. for sure. Hard, for sure. One, hard one to pick, actually. I think, it'll be, I think this will actually be a close game. I don't believe that any team is going to have um, a stronghold in the game and probably seesaw through the game. Um, North Melbourne's form at Etihad, um, I'm not particularly sure is great, but then again, neither is Adelaide. So Adelaide's form at Etihad is, is not good either. So I think this could go either way. I'm I'm saying I think North will win well. All right. Six um, or seven goals. I'm thinking it'll either be North or Adelaide, but under two, under 12 points. So yes. yeah. Sydney v Collingwood at the SCG. Now, uh, 
I'm surprised we didn't hear more from uh, Eddie about the change of venue from ANZ Stadium to SCG. We heard it a few weeks ago, and then we heard Sydney's president give his typical bloody sooky reply about how nobody likes Sydney and it's all unfair, and I just... I can't bear him. He's shocking, that guy. <laughs> I can't remember. Andrew, whatever his name is, drives me nuts. Um, I, I, well, I'm sort of torn because I think Lance Franklin might actually have a good year this year, but uh, I don't think Sydney are going to be able to, uh, are going to be that good, and I would actually think they won't make the eight this year, and I do like the look of Collingwood. I think Collingwood will win. Well, Sydney's Sydney's big out is um, who's their major injury for the year or for a good portion of the year? Uh, Tony Lockett, <laughs> Peter Bedford. No, 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 no. Not Bernard too either. Uh, Paul Morwood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, they've got uh, not a know. Reed, not a, one of the Reed brothers, is it? No, no, no. Johnson, uh, no. Reeds, I oh, know Reeds out two weeks. Ted Ridges is back. <laughs> he's no, he's no. always out. Yes, Gary. Actually, he's no, a... no. Oh, Gary Rowan's out for quite a while. Five weeks, three to five weeks. Uh... Alex Johnson out for season. Ben McGlynn out uh, is test, so he may get a spot. SCG, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to tip Sydney for the SCG. If it had been at ANZ, I would have tipped. Collingwood um, and Collingwood by about four or five goals, but SCG, I think Sydney that that and that ground suits Franklin when he's uh, when he's on form, and he certainly looks like he's been travelling pretty well in that cup and moving he, quite freely. So he looks lithe, and uh, I think he might have himself a good year. So I think if you're uh, if you're looking at Supercoach and uh, you haven't got Franklin in your team, I think you better hurry up and get him in your team quickly. I, I have an admission to make. I completely went cold turkey on fantasy football this year. I just can't do it anymore. It's too hard. And I'm always the bastard you have in your league who you get to round 13 and they haven't moved any players for three weeks. And I'm always that guy. And I just, I just decided that it's, that it's not the right thing to do anymore. So I've, I've given up. <laughs> Fair enough. Hung up my super coach spurs. Uh. Not for the not not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. Who will we, who will finish sixty-seven thousandth now? Hey, oh god, that's better than me. I think last year I finished about one hundred and four, one hundred and five thousandth, or something like that. I think the best, uh, the best, the, the best I've had is maybe low eighties, low eighty thousand. But I sort of give up about halfway through. I, I just I, I I've never met anybody who's finished even in the top thousand, and uh, I. Would shudder to think what what their life is like. Well, we've got I mean, a couple of couple of serious super coaches on the dogs board, and I think there is one of them who posted his results last year and finished in the top fifteen hundred, which I think is a pretty fair effort. Good God! Mm. Does, he have, does he have gainful employment? I don't know, and I, I don't think I really want to have that sort of discussion and, and, and lose five minutes of my life that I'll never get back asking about it. <laughs> well, we should we should ask him later. All right, that's that. Uh, Western Bulldogs Fremantle in what I think could be one of the games of the rounds. Oh, oh, oh. Etihad oh. Stadium Sunday one ten p.m. I think both teams look like they have almost a full list. I, gee, the Dockers are pretty good though. 
I, I sort of like the do- Sorry, Mike. I think the Dockers. I think the Dockers. Do you think the Dockers will win? Well, I think at any head, um, if it was at if it was at Patterson or wherever they want to play over in Perth, I think yeah, I have to say Fremantle. But I think any head, I think we will uh, cause a bit of an upset. Well, not so much an upset, but I think we'll win by somewhere between four to five goals. Oh. We in bo- in Bont we trust. That's right. No, no, it's it's not it's it's not Bont. It's the package. Wow, we the package. The package. Oh, the X factor. The package. My God, who would I hear him described as this week? A cross between Phil Carmen and I can't think. But once you start comparing someone with Phil Carmen, <laughs> yeah, you've lost all respect as far as I'm concerned. Phil Carmen was a great player, but he's a <laughs> It's that flamboyance, you yeah. know, that sort of, you know, that elan. That's, yeah, but anyway. No, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's certainly got that, that balance of arrogance about him and cockiness, but not, well, not to the level of uh, sort of Mark, Mark Jackson. But um, I uh, look, look forward to signing him in free agent, Hawthorne signing him in free agency <laughs> shortly. Top 10, he's in the top 10 AFL players. Apparently well, then, then you know we should be able to extract him from you, and you could get a, you know, pick pick twenty eight as compensation. Yeah, right. Dream on, dream on. We'll take half your list while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're going with Fremantle. I'm going with the dogs for four, yes. to, five, four to five goals. So there we have it. Uh, moving on to Sunday, uh, two fifty p.m. at Adelaide Oval, Port versus St Kilda. I think uh, Port should have this one. Reasonably comfortably, I think they will do unspeakable things to St Kilda, who um, I think are not particularly good. And uh, I would even call, go as far as to say that you shouldn't let your children watch this one. You Cricket ugly. St Kilda are going to be that bad this year. I or? I have no faith in them whatsoever. I think they've got a lot of kids. They're going to take a lot of time, and. I don't think this is the year. I think they're a couple of years away. So they're probably a year or two behind Melbourne. So they would win six or seven games again this year. That would be about right. But uh, Port are really good. And uh, I think they will take the long handle to St Kilda. All right. There you have it. Um, I think I'm in agreement there that Port will convincingly beat St Kilda. But... um... I would certainly expect St Kilda to stay sort of status quo in terms of ladder position and certainly not drop. But I guess there you have it. West Coast Eagles versus the Paddle Pop Lions on Sunday at uh, 4.40 at um, uh, yeah, DS, uh, whatever we'll call it these days. The the um, the Stadium of the West or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is another one which I think you would have to say that the if, main you love, yep. if, if you love your children and you stand for all that's good and decent in the world, don't let them watch this football match. <laughs> don't let them. Don't let them see what the bad men in blue will do to the poor little boys in red. It's it could be ugly, and and I think you know, spare your children the, the harsh realities of the world for a few years yet. Jeez, you have you have absolutely no faith in any of the lower teams that you do. No. <laughs> but you know what, Brisbane are a special kind of shit, and 
um, it is not going to be good for the pedal pops. All right, I think West Coast convincingly there by probably eight to ten goals. I'd say uh, fifteen to sixteen goals. Fifteen to sixteen will be yes. Which leads on to the last game, Monday, Easter Monday, 15-20 at the MCG, Geelong versus Hawthorne. Um, this could be an interesting game, actually. Um, could. I, yeah, I think it will actually be an interesting game. I think, actually, Geelong could upset Hawthorne here against the, uh, you know, against the... Uh, well, I, I think, to be fair, Geelong should probably be flag, flag favourites this year because they recruited uh, Patrick Dangerfield and um, and uh, and the other Selwood brother, the one that still plays football. And, uh, look, we have a few outs, and Liam Shields missing is a terrible blow to us because he's been in really good form through the preseason. Brad Hill's out too. So it will be a challenge for us. I can't bear watching Hawthorne and Geelong games because we only seem to win the finals. So um, yes, I I am I am afraid. <laughs> Jeez, you're giving a lot of compliments to Geelong there. I mean, I'd certainly say that if Hawthorne, if there is a game that Hawthorne is right for picking, this is it. Um, and, and Geelong, on paper, should be able to account for Hawthorne, but I don't think Geelong are anywhere near flag favourites for 2016. There. Oh no, no, oh no, 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 they're definitely flag favourites. Oh, you're going on, you're going on the commentary of the uh, of the ge- of the uh, general board, are you? I'm on the commentary of all the football media that Geelong are, are so exciting and wonderful and um, they've just discovered that Patrick Dangerfield can play football. <laughs> all right. So uh, just just quickly, your opinion, who's hot this year and who's not? Who's hot? Oh, God. Oh, hot. Oh, I don't know. I don't know who's hot. There's a few teams who are not. Are we talking about teams? Yes, I'm not talking about uh, you know the other, oh. uh, the opposite side, oh, uh, the, you know, the biological um, females. There's a few people you can follow on Twitter for that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, look, Port, uh, Collingwood, Geelong, West Coast. In the not column, I have St Kilda. I have uh, Brisbane. I have Carlton. And I think they'll be the bottom three. And Essendon are so hot, so not hot. It's, um, yes, they're sub-zero. So there you go. Probably closer to the, closer to, uh, you know, absolute zero degrees rather than a chance of... (laughs) Not even a single Kelvin. They're just, it's just going to be a horror show. They'll have a couple of good moments, but by and large, it'll be um, a year to forget for Essendon. Well, there you have it. Words of wisdom from the Magnificent Messenger. Well, you've had to sit there and endure a night listening to Mike and Messenger uh, in the absence of the Magnificent Wookiee who had better things to do and watch his hair and, and Shandog who followed his suit. Two Carlton supporters, what do you expect? Sharing a shower, perhaps. <laughs> no wonder one of them's got gonorrhea. Um, <laughs> hey, you said that, not me. No, 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 no. It's only funny because it's true. But anyway, we we wish Wookie the best of recovery, and you know, good thing antibiotics are around these days. That would have been a death sentence in the past. 
Uh, and as for Shan Dogwell, you know, who knows what's wrong with him? But who knows what that Besides by being a Carlton supporter. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll get prosecuted back. Who knows? That'll be certainly interesting and worth having a few chuckles at. Oh, look, there's a whole range of people we should try and get on this year. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us, Messenger. It's been, yes. a, it's been an interesting chat. And thank you all out there in the Ethernet and Cables for listening to us at some point in your time. It's 40 minutes or 50 minutes of your life. You'll never get back, but suck it up, Princess, and take a That's teaspoon right. of concrete. That's it. This is Mike and Messenger, Big Footy. Main board podcast round one 2016. Signing off for this week, and we'll see you back next week with the Wookiee back on board. Take it away, Messenger. See you all later for now. Bye bye. Don't have sex with your best friend's wife. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>